so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the breaking zone! Cricket came home, Sebastian Vettel didn't. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. I felt the pain in that through the fucking internet. Hi guys, Andre Harrison here, your friendly neighborhood host, and welcome to episode 202 of Motorsport 101. And uh, I get to, I actually, I, after my last appearance, which wasn't live, where my American cohorts could gloat over a World Cup victory, it is now my turn to happily tap dance on the grave of uh, all Twitter-related decency regarding Megan Rapino, And I'm going to say, Cricket's coming home, motherfuckers! Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> well done, Owen Morgan and the boys. The, the England cricket team are world champions. Hell yeah! Like, you can see the tumbleweeds roll past. It's like, like, Cricket, what the fuck's he talking about? Isn't no, it just no, like American no, I, rounders? I, I, lo- <laughs> I love me some weird baseball. <laughs> Of course you do, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. Um, great. Great to be back as always. Uh, King is not here. Uh, uh, somebody should check on him. I think he's still sleeping off that hangover. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of alcohol was consumed in New York this past weekend. <laughs> I think he was sleeping on the job. He was meant to be doing important journalistic work for Motorsport 101. <laughs> Instead, he was just getting ribbed by Rory Reed. Ripped by Rory Reed and drinking with our friend Hazel. To be fair, that's a pretty good holiday. <laughs> I, I can think of worse ideas. But uh, <laughs> there we are. Also, we needed to find a, a substitute to fill in. Sadly, only Cam Buckley was available. Hello, sir. Hi, everyone. Sadly, he's actually paid his rent on, on time this week, so he actually gets to stay. How you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. I mean... F one happened. Yeah, it was it a thing. Happened. It was it, it was it it was certainly a thing. Um, <laughs> so, some ACO like, news happened. It, honestly, <laughs> in Britain, like that Grand Prix was like the fourth craziest thing that happened here. Like the Wimbledon final was going down. Shout out to Novak Djokovic for winning in a ridiculous fifth set, thirteen twelve tiebreak victory over Roger Federer, who I hear is 75 next week, um, and yet is still, like, the second best player in the world. Um, So I thought that was funny. Um, Literally at the same time, England v New Zealand, after something like six hours of cricket and 50 overs each, somehow tied, which in cricket is virtually impossible. (laughs) So we had to have a super over instead. Which is basically sudden death in cricket form. <laughs> and that was a tie, but because England had more boundaries, i.e. fours and sixes, in the innings, they won the World Cup. All of us, like, I'm actually very proud of my tweet where I said, like, was, like we put Jofra Archer up for the death over to bowl for England. And there was a lot of controversy regarding him because he's originally from Barbados, 
but because he's his mother's English, we decided to claim him like we do all our cricketers these days. Because, spoiler alert, none of them are English. <laughs> the amount of guys we've claimed from South Africa over the years is extensive. <laughs> like, I literally tweeted before the death over started, there's either going to be, like, a knighthood for Joffre Archer coming or a big debate about immigration again. <laughs> so, oh, so, yikes. So, so, well done, Joffre. Well done, Owen Morgan, again, for all those, those guys talking about Brexit and whatnot. The captain's an Irishman. <laughs> the hero, Ben Stokes, player of the match, born in New Zealand. <laughs> you know, immigration is good, everybody. We get to claim everybody and then win shit. Very good. Um, sorry about that, boys. Um, don't know how that happened. Um, might just died on me all of a sudden. We never have um, technical difficulties here at the M101 podcast. No, we're, 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 no, we're, we're a highly professional bunch. Um, <laughs> so, let me break down what's going on this week on the podcast outside of World Cup Glory. Um, we are recording two episodes this week. This is technically a two-part doubleheader show. Fun times. Um, on this show... We'll be talking about Formula One in the obviously the British Grand Prix, and we'll be talking about World Superbikes in Laguna Seca this weekend, um, as well as all the support races in Britain and a good chunk of news on two wheels and four. Cam, don't rant about SMP just yet. Um, give it another hour. Breathe, uh... um, breathe. <laughs> And in the second part, which for those guys in the Discord listening in will be tomorrow, same same bat time, same bat channel, later on in the week, probably like Monday, Tuesday-ish, given we, there's shit all in motorsport that's going on this weekend, we're going to stretch it out a little bit. We'll be talking about the Formula E season finale in New York, the doubleheader there, as Jeff took home his second straight title, and then got... So we say sassy on the radio while doing it. And the IndyCar round at Toronto as well. As Simon Pagina reminded everybody he's still really good at this whole race car thing. Yeah, besides that whole month of May thing. But we don't ignore that, <laughs> basically. So that's how we're splitting the shows up. There'll be two going up in the next week or so. Hope you guys enjoy both of them. And on that second show, I sadly won't be there. But filling in for me... Is King and filling in for Cam is Chris Harley. So that should be a fun time for all involved. We are stretching all our limits of the hosting pool for M101 this week. Should be a fun time for all involved. Hope you guys enjoy both shows. In the meantime, basically, you can find us real quick. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, personal handles at Harrison101HD, at uh, Ryan Eric King, even though he's not with us on this week. We um, we have uh, at RJ O'Connell and at C Buckley. Is it 917, Cam? Correct. Forgive me. Yeah, just take out the vowels. You'll, you'll, you'll get there. Um, Twitter will figure it out afterwards. You can find us on our website, Harrison101. Harrison101, whoops, my old <laughs> site name there. Welcome to, the two, welcome to the review of the 2015 British Grand Prix. Man, can you believe Williams messed up that strategy call? They could have won this race. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yep, so yeah, yeah, we are on motorsport101.com, our website. I've posted some blogs and fun stuff up there. Austria, Assen, check it out, all that fun stuff. 
Um, God, that was a terrifying throwback. I, I thought I'd gone back to fighting with Mickey Motions or something. Jesus. Um, <laughs> and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. And $10 gets you in the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they are being recorded. Shout out to everybody in the Discord chat, as always. Vince is here. Um, obviously, we got Brian here, Vic, Toki, Steve as well, and Rezzy. Like, there's like 15 rich energy references for Discord usernames in here. It's actually very confusing. Well, funny um, thing you mentioned that. Because uh, we are actually opening this show with a special report. Yeah, it's it looks like shit's hit the fan for a certain energy drink company. Shit hit the windmill. Just to, to say the least. So, off this quick musical interlude, we'll break down just what the fuck's been going on with Rich Energy. Drink. Energy. Drink. Energy. Drink. Energy. Drink. Energy. Mr. O'Connell, where the hell do we even start on this? <laughs> this has to jump the show. This has to jump everything else because it's all so wild. Okay. So let's wind things back to about Wednesday, July the 10th. About six days before we record the show, we get a bombshell announcement on Twitter that Rich Energy is pulling their sponsorship of Haas F1 team, citing poor performance. Oh. <sighs> it begins. Train. <laughs> <laughs> I, just... I, I accidentally clicked on the wrong Discord channel there. <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> I, I clicked the wrong Discord channel by accident there. This show's going well, guys. I mean, really. <laughs> I think you need to lay off the rich energy. Fuck off. <laughs> so the so the quote so the verbatim tweet from Rich Energy today at Rich underscore Energy terminated our contract with at Haas F1 team for poor performance. We aim to beat Red Bull Racing and being behind Williams Racing in Austria is unacceptable. The, and I want to make sure I have this right, the politics and PC attitude in F1 is also inhibiting our business. We wish the team well, hashtag, yeah, the PC attitude in one of the least PC sports uh, possible. Right. We go to Thursday, July the 11th, and Haas F1 team says, well, actually, Rich Energy are still our title sponsor, and we're... And, uh, of course, we're happy to have them on board at Silverstone. Of course, uh, of course, Rich has already been through a lot, haven't they? Mm. Man, it's so tough to barely even be a company. A, a company that is, uh, that is, uh, found to be guilty in court of infringing upon the, uh, the, the image and the intellectual property of white bikes, who, uh, Rich Energy have also been beefing with on Twitter. Yeah. Still, even after they lost their court case against them a month ago. Yes, uh, Haas still ran the colors over the weekend and released a statement that Rich Energy was still their partner. Uh, story later, uh, 
Rich Energy later said that certain shareholders are trying to overthrow founder and CEO William Story, who clearly is not tweeting drunk. <laughs> and those those shareholders were clearly in cahoots with Red Bull. Not just Red Bull, but White Bikes as well. It's a coupe. <laughs> From 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 William Story himself, the ludicrous statement by minority shareholders cozy with Red Bull and white bikes is risible. Their attempted palace coup has failed. I control all of the assets of Rich Energy and have support of all key stakeholders. Amazing. I struggle to find the words to describe just how extra this got. With every continuing tweet. And then all of us on Twitter going, what in the blue hell is going on here? Uh, you, It reads like a parody account. I think it still is a parody account at this point. I don't know if this is a parody account. Although, to be fair, I do see that Rich Energy has retweeted uh, one of the best headlines published on Autosport.com. Rich Energy CEO says company's own statement was, quote, ludicrous. H- how does that work? <laughs> How do you call your own company statement ludicrous? Am, am I missing something here? This is playing out like a Jim Sterling video right now. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, so there is truth to this, though, that a number of rich energy shareholders are are trying to have him re- are trying to have him removed as the CEO of the company. Uh, rich energy. Uh, there was a uh, there was a put out that rich energy. Someone at rich energy said that they attributed that tweet to one rogue individual who will be removed of their executive duties shortly. You don't have to put two and two together to realize that there's only one full-time employee and, well, that just so happens to be William Story. Right. God forbid they want to have their money going towards a normal company and not one that picks fights with its competitors. I have a quote here. Um, this is from the Racer.com article uh, published by Chris Medland with, speaking with Neville Weston, a shareholder of Rich Energy. Things weren't being done to the standards they should have been, so we started to step in. We were working amicably with William to say, look, you need to move out. You're not doing this well. You're not doing that well. He was playing ball. We were on a shareholder call on Wednesday. He didn't show up on the call to discuss these items. And then during the call, sent out this thing saying, I'm terminating the Haas contract. We knew straight away that was him going rogue. So then we had to deal with that situation. Oh, <laughs> he, he he just put out there on Twitter on his phone that can barely record like it's two like a two thousand and one Sony Ericsson. Like, yeah, we're just gonna terminate the Haas contract just to do it, citing yeah. poor performance. Apparently, do you really think with, with uh, the bank account of Rich Energy that he could even afford a two thousand one Sony Ericsson? <laughs> Which Cam, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, after some investigative sleuthing around the internet. How much was found in that bank account? 581 pound. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have more in your bank account than Rich Energy. Boom. A Formula One sponsor. I have, I, I probably have six times that right now in my savings. <sighs> Must be nice. Hang on. Is, is that better? You're back. You're back. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened there. I, 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 I don't know what's up with my microphone. It's playing up again. Um, it seems to be okay from the streams I'm, I'm picking up on here, but uh, carry on, fellas, for now. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. So Rich Energy posts a, uh, posts a letter. Um, f- I believe this is from Neville Weston. 
um, just detailing like uh, just detailing the whole situation that was going on and uh, uh, William trying to spin it his own way on the 13th. He announces that uh, uh, in light of the treacherous conduct of minority shareholders, the exclusive rights to distribute rich energy have been transferred to another company. Mr. Story retains complete ownership. Oh, oh, God. And then, of course, on the day of the race. It wasn't bad enough that he had discovered TweetDeck. He's also discovered Photoshop. <laughs> Who oh. let this happen? So he paints up a milk truck in rich energy Haas F1 colors and puts him, his own face on the face of the driver. Why? He says, great start, boys. At Haas F1 team, hashtag British Grand Prix, hashtag Haas F1, hashtag rich energy, hashtag milk float. Milk float. <laughs> I... I, I, like, he's done it on Microsoft Paint and Photoshop. I just, I, I, I can't even. <laughs> I, 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 why? How did they afford the PC? <laughs> to be fair, you, you, you can get a discount PC for 500 quid these days. Of course, all of this is a breach of the sponsorship agreement that was struck between Rich Energy and Haas. But, you know, Haas are willing to, uh, to let that contract breach. Um, so long as Rich Energy pays them 35 million pounds of damages or 44 million at current exchange rates in U.S. dollars within two weeks. Oh. How much is, how much is that amount minus 581 pounds sterling? Um, I, I, I make that roughly 34.9959 million dollars, roughly. To the nearest 10. Ooh, that's a, that's a bad deadline. And while they've started a beef with uh, with their own F1 team, uh, White Bikes has told Jalopnik.com on Friday that Rich Energy failed to pay the company a court-ordered $45,000 by its deadline. The story did not respond to requests for comment on that claim, um, which has led many to believe that uh, White Bikes can take a suit to have Rich Energy wound up. Oh, boy. I just... <sighs> what happened? <laughs> It, it it just feels like it's like this entire company was built on a on a house of cards and like someone's just pressed the level three button on their desk fan. That that like that's what it feels like. You know what's coming. Is the whole the whole house is about to fall in on itself. Um, because we've as far as we can tell, they still owe white bikes forty five thousand dollars and they are they've not paid it. So they can get wound up in this country. That's how that's how the legal system works here. If you don't pay a court date, you can have the you can have the company liquidated. So they're in big ass trouble here. Basically, where's this money? Where's this money coming from? And you have to also think, you know, in the past, thank goodness Haas has a stable financial support. Because if this was a couple years ago with a different midfield team, this whole done. row, this whole row could collapse that team. And yeah. I and I commend I commend Claire Williams for doing one thing. No, they didn't get the Rich Energy deal, but at least they were smart enough to ask for guaranteed payment up front. And Rich Energy was just like, "Nope." And you also want more money out of us? We'll strike a cheaper deal. Yeah, we'll just give Haas money. They ain't got a title sponsor. You know, they need us. <laughs> Haas are their own title sponsor. The fuck Precisely. out of here, Rich. But wait, there's more. Say the Discord. Rich Energy CEO has claimed that Haas has agreed to a split will, and will pursue damages. This comes out today. 
uh, just to disavow people of lies from at Haas F1 team, please see below. Rich Energy terminated the agreement that, we, as we said, the team have accepted contrary to their public denial. They were complicit in trying to oust CEO William Story, who even gave them a 35 million pound personal guarantee. Hashtag truth. Now, for those guys who are in the UK who don't watch episodes of Can't Pay Will Take It Away, what that means basically means is the company is now liable for that £35 million. And if he's adding a personal guarantee, that means if the company can't pay that £35 million, like Will's story is responsible for that debt. He's now yeah. personally liable for the £35 million. Otherwise he's going to probably end up declaring bankruptcy or something. Because somehow, I don't think that man's got 35 mil in the bank. Just saying. What would possibly give you that impression? Yeah, well, William, let- in the in the words of noted hip-hop artist and fellatio enthusiast DJ Khaled, congratulations, you paid your favorite <laughs> <laughs> No! enthusiast! Oh my god! <laughs> I'm, I'm, rook- I'm looking through the book It, and this isn't in there. Saying it, Chief. <laughs> the saying it, Chief. So yeah, at this point, if that if if Rich Energy's own tweet is true, Will's story is now accountable for thirty five million quid. Yeah, I fun with that. Yep, N- not happening. I feel bad for everybody at Haas that has to that's been subject to all of this garbage. Shall we say? Especially remember, in the last the- week, where we'll get into it when we talk about F1. Haas has had a bad week. A very bad, bad couple week. weeks. On, on and off the track. Yeah, this this was the worst of it. I, I just felt like this had to jump everything else because, like, holy shit, the man, the man has gone drunk with power. Yes, he, he has basically become a, a total megalomaniac over over rich energy he's done his brand irreversible damage as far as i'm concerned as if that wasn't already the case as it was no one was taking him seriously to begin with i don't know whether this was some sort of elaborate guerrilla marketing strategy that's the thing jimmy broadbent was suggesting that this is just guerrilla marketing yeah it's like straight out of the page of piers morgan or katie hopkins guys who just come out with idiotic stupid fucking toxic um, contrarian hot takes and then let other people get mad about it and give them the clicks. It's, it's it's the full Tommy Lawrence strategy all over again. And, like, it could be that, but why would you shoot yourself in the foot so badly? I don't understand the gain you make from that. People are not stupid, especially in the F1 space where people... And, again, I, I also want to say... A massive shout-out to guys like Elizabeth Blackstock and all the guys at Jalopnik that have really done their homework on this piece. Um, They've done great, great journalism on this for months to even get to this point. Um, It's only fair we give them due diligence and credit for that because they've been one of the few people that's been regularly chasing this up. And I don't just mean drinking a can on Instagram like Chris Harris does and claim like this is like some sort of shot fire. That, oh, my God. The energy drink tastes like glucose. What a surprise. Um, Another person that William Story has been starting stupid Twitter beef with. Why? Because he is so upset that Top Gear won't call the Ultimate GTR the fastest supercar in the world. 
Oh yeah, yeah, because it's not it's not it's not British like it's 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 not British enough for for Will Story's tastes. Yeah, and, and yeah, going no. after a Porsche of Great Britain who are famously willing to take people to court for defamation. Yeah, a guy that owns an energy drink that's made in Austria. Yeah, gotcha. <sighs> like right, literally right next door to Red Bull. Like, the, like the man clearly has a stub for a penis if he's that insecure about what's going on. Because like I I I I. <laughs> I can't imagine being that horribly insecure that you felt the need to make your energy drink right next to the company that's worth twenty billion pounds right next door. Like like that's ugh, I, I I I can't even get there. It's like uh, again, it's just that they are literally tweeting through the pain, and uh, yeah, I, I got nothing for you here, folks. It's we're just laying these bag of snakes out as straight as we possibly can, and even like we're all just confused at this point. I think <laughs> uh, uh, at this point, more than anything else, we don't we don't even know how this is really going to end. I think the company is just going to get wound up, and Will will fade into obscurity before Peter Winter pays him for another interview. Um, and nothing of value know. will be lost. No, and I I echo the sentiments of RJ on this in that you know I do feel sorry for Haas. They are already going through a rough time uh, um, on the track as it is. They are um, in the shitter, especially compared to last year where they were in the top five and challenging to be best in the midfielders. And now they're down the tail end of the field with like a, a team that seems to not have any real direction at the moment. Um, and yeah, it doesn't help when your main title sponsor, one is not paying you and two is basically trying to slander you via social media in an attempt for one egotistical megalomaniac with a three-foot beard um, is trying to make it all about him. I just find it mind-boggling, personally. Have fun breaking all that down, because I, I don't know how, how anyone else does. Good luck. I just got nothing. I, I want to talk about this. I'm just like, oh my god, where where was I even supposed to start with this other than back at the beginning? With right. every following tweet, it just it snowballed and got worse. And that, his beard looks like shit anyway. Right, man, it's like a homeless guy. I mean, it's, that's not a good, that's not a good look. I mean, to to quote uh, radio sports radio shock jock Jim Rome, personal appearance is not show fodder. Having said that, William, you, you got to shave that up. Time to come home. Then again, in a world where Tiger Woods still insists on a comb over, William Story can keep his beard. Um, quite frankly. But, you cannot uh, hide. You cannot hide that uh, Hagrid beard with a hat, though. That's the only thing. That's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah. Good luck making sense of all of that because that's just it. Rich Energy's entire their, their only real outlet is their social media, and their social media is so out, outlandishly bizarre and nonsensical. Us trying to make sense of it just seems like a horrible mistake. Um, so. Good luck yeah, with that, basically. And um, as you said, even if they somehow get story out of power, it's irreparably damaged. Right. I would love, ideally, you know, maybe new shareholders and new leadership could turn the company around, but I don't know. I think it's too far gone. This will be a stain on the company forever. Gone. Energy drinks get a bad enough rap in this country as it is. You have to actually have ID to buy them in certain supermarkets. It's not a good time to be launching a new energy drink company. Like, that, like, point and center. Anyone, like, if this was a Shark Tank pitch, 
or like an episode of Dragon's Den, as we call it in the UK, you'd already be laughed out of the building because it's a fucking high sugar, high energy glucose manifestation number 116 plus. The now how about this? So how, how, how about this? How about mm. this, Trey? Uh, mm. How about Haas finds a new sponsor? Same same sector, Tesco Blue Spark Energy Haas F1 team. Sounds catchy. I like it. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking. Pussy Haas F1 team. Excuse me. And on, and, and on that note, the British Grand Prix, everybody. Um... <laughs> Should we get the main topic out of the way? Guys, Lewis Hamilton won. Hooray! God the rare. save our gracious queen. The rare Lewis win, not from Paul. Yeah, he was... Long live he was, our noble queen. I, I, I love how you're giving the British anthem due diligence here as an American. That's, uh, that's like the ultimate insult. Yeah, compliments all at the same time. Um, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, Valtteri Bottas actually qualified on pole this time around to the shock and awe of 100,000 angry Brits um, who decided to boo the shit out of him after qualifying on pole. Well done. How dare well done. he perform well? Well done, Britain. You stay classy as always. Victorious, totally <laughs> happy and glorious. Uh, also, before this weekend, we had some terrible hot takes coming out of the media between between people trying to say like Lewis Hamilton wasn't British enough, and people speculating Sebastian's kids were causing him to drive like crap. This, this was a bad week for F one hot takes. Like, like as, as I put it out there on Twitter. Like, because the guy that asked this stupid fucking question about Lewis Hamilton not being British enough, the word you're looking for here is black. Um, just for mm. just just for I'd make that clear, because there is no way in God's green earth is Lando Norris and George Russell getting asked questions about how British they are in the context of the grid. Okay, like, mm. and it makes it even more mind-boggling because the person that asked Hamilton that question was black themselves. And who writes for the Guardian? It's just like, why? It, it it made my head hurt. I'm actually very very glad that one Twitter called out this dumb question for what it is, and actually it got to the point where England footballer and all round United legend Rio Ferdinand had to take to Instagram to be like, listen, we can read between the fucking lines here, okay? We know what this is. Yeah, Jensen Button was another one as well. Um, that, so I mean, like, I'm glad that. People, let's be real, especially people who's white are coming to the to coming to Lewis's defense here because we need that. And uh, yeah, I, I don't care how, much, how far you want to say this is a reach, like it's nonsense. Like just because Hamilton has American friends and he gets the culture and he dresses differently doesn't mean that he's any less British than someone that quote unquote fits the stereotype more. It's nonsense. And anyone that's saying that, oh, Sebastian having a family is slowing him down, fuck off. Seriously. Why are we doing this? Like, I, I don't know why F1 media needs a reason for, for guys to be shit uh, every once in a while. Or... Like, isn't, isn't what the things that I always hear is that, like, drivers who are on the cusp of a breakthrough breakthrough when they suddenly realize, hey, they're start having a family and settling down and that's kept them grounded and more mature, but nope. Only no, when I, it fits their narrative. 
Yeah, no one said that about Romain Grosjean, who's now got two kids at home, you know? And the, the, don't get me wrong, he ain't driving all that well either. Uh, it sure as that isn't because he's got a family at home waiting for him. Mm. It, it ain't that shit. So, no, they, they can get out here. Like I said, it's like the F1 media is desperate to have a narrative for literally everything. And, like, they can't decide which narrative it fits into. I'll talk more a bit about that with Sebastian later, because obviously he was probably the centre of the biggest flashpoint of the race himself. But, hey, congrats to Lewis Hamilton. I want to say that's his sixth win at Silverstone now. His so sixth that... win. The winningest British Grand Prix driver ever. Nobody cared about this stat going into the weekend, yet Sky immediately the antithesis for their entire coverage. I thought that was hilarious. It's like, like that's one of the stats that no one really cares about is home wins. Like, it's... it's like, Schumacher's greatest racetrack was France. He won there eight times. No one talks about that. It's it's nonsense. Um, but, you know, it, it's a shame because the way the race played out, I mean, Bottas did qualify on pole, put a great lap in. Hamilton tried to beat it, made a mistake at Brooklands on his first run, made up for it on his second run, couldn't beat Valtteri over the line despite the fastest final sector. Um, Bottas was on thousandths of a second. 6,000, which, which according to the boffins, about 40 centimetres on track. About the length of a ruler. Um, slightly more than that. But uh, that's how much it was on a track that big. That's what we're talking about. And to be fair, it's worth mentioning as well that uh, Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen uh, on row two within a couple of attempts of the top themselves. So we're very, very close. I think only eight hundredths covering the uh, top three. Even somehow an even closer qualifying session than last year at Silverstone. And, uh, yeah, more on Leclerc Verstappen very shortly. Um, <laughs> yes, Spicy. those two again. God, that was good. That was so good. This is everything we wanted it to be. Yeah, the first 20 laps of this race were fan-freaking-tastic. I'm not going to lie to you here, folks. Um, Lewis Hamilton had the right idea. Go for Valtteri's throat straight away. Um, both Mercs had a clear run uh, off, the, off the start line. Um, and they were Hamilton through the house, trying to get past Valtteri in the first three laps. Even made the move stick, um, going down the old start-finish straight. But then Valtteri had come back, got alongside, and then went down the inside into Cops. And it was a it was a fantastic little mini battle between the two Mercedes that Valtteri was able to hold on to. But uh, slightly further back as well, we were getting a fantastic fight. Um, for third, and it, it was the long-awaited rematch of a fortnight ago between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. RJ, just how great was this? Yeah, so this all started on lap 14 when both Leclerc and Verstappen got off the soft tires and onto the medium tires. Uh, the two of them came out side by side with Verstappen ahead by the length of a front wing mm -hmm. um, in a borderline unsafe release. I'm not going to go on borderline. That was yes. definitely an unsafe freeze, but it wasn't penalized for some reason. The students were asleep for most of this weekend. Yeah, it was a carbon yes. copy of what happened at Monaco. Can you tell me what yeah. he uh, got at Monaco for the unsafe Five release? Second penalty. Five second time penalty. Consistency! Not here, yeah. folks. More on that later as well. <laughs> yeah, but you see them racing out onto the Wellington straight. Leclerc has already got the move done, and because he has, he was behind Verstappen at the time, he has the advantage of DRS, but Verstappen is hanging there with them. And these two are racing each other like, like this race was paying a million dollars to win. You'll see on lap 19, again, this comes into play because Mats was racing Charles pretty aggressively at Austria, 
On lap 19, uh, Verstappen fancies a move down the hangar straight. Uh, he gets the move done, but not before Charles Leclerc takes a late lunge up the inside to try and cut him off before going into, and uh, and I believe that's uh, that's Stoke Corner. Yep. Oh, God. This was so, so good. And remember, they're going into that braking zone at the better part of 210 miles an hour on the DRS. Um, crazy speed, crazy bravery. I remember at one point, Leclerc got a, got a move done into the penultimate corner off the chicane. Just sheer bonkers stuff. It's like, you, you can't pass there. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Um, I, I, yeah. I said it while we were watching the race. Charles was going to keep him behind or die trying, and Max was going to get past or die trying. Yeah, it was it was one of those fights where something had to give, and the give was the safety car, um, which yes. was uh, caused by Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, some sort of technical problem apparently had uh, failed on the car and caused him to spin out into the gravel. Um, just yeah, I believe past, his, so. yeah, I believe his car just hooked a dead right into the gravel trap into a spin. Yeah, so. just, yeah, planted it gravel trap cars beached gotta put out a safety car um and that kind of could tell what was a tremendous first first half of the race um again wheel to wheel fights everywhere um between the between both mercs again hamilton staying right in bottas's wing mirrors for the entire first 20 laps and um and but of course the safety car changed the strategies for a lot of the fields around um, Bottas essentially got shafted by an ill-timed safety car. He had, he had, he had to take a pit stop, um, earlier on in the race and then had to effectively two stop by the end. Hamilton was able to pit under the safety car and not lose as much time. He came out on front in track position and Hamilton didn't really look back from there. Unfortunately, Bottas just did not have an answer for him on the fresh rubber after the safety car came out. It also bumped up Sebastian Vettel to third because he was on the soft tire but was able to hold on until the safety car dropped. Remember that. It also becomes important very much later. Um, so... And lo and behold, Verstappen and Leclerc still weren't done fighting because going into lap 25, uh, Leclerc fancies a lunge up the inside going into, a, I believe this is Abbey Corner, is that correct? The, uh, the last uh, left-right chicane? Yes, sir. Yeah, he he chucks it right up the inside with just a car width away. He pull, he pulls a block pass, cutting back to Verstappen on the inside. That forces Verstappen wide, all four wheels, way, way off. Uh, Leclerc wasn't going to lift. Verstappen wasn't going to lift. Ultimately, Verstappen keeps the position out of all of that. Yep. And because of the safety car shuffle, Pierre Gasly was now in front of the pair of them. Gasly got the team order to move aside, which he did, which gave which gave Max Verstappen a clear run at Sebastian Vettel and a shot at the podium. Oh boy! Um, oh God! Here we go. Now, Verstappen clearly the Red Bull has dialed in pretty well at this point, especially on the hard rubber. Verstappen is reeling in Sebastian. Um, after a couple of hard moves, there is a move into Stowe. Verstappen makes the move on Sebastian, round the outside of Stowe, goes all the way over, again goes four wheels off, is able to keep the place. He goes hard to the left, but there is enough of a gap for Sebastian to go for it. Has anyone uh, remember Japan last season? Yeah, well, we got a rematch here. Sebastian goes for the gap. 
Verstappen somewhat turns in the braking zone into the last chicane and contact. Uh, Vettel goes into the rear of Verstappen's car. Verstappen's car gets launched over the inside curb and into the gravel trap. Somehow, it was not a DNF. Um, somehow, his car was able to keep going. Yeah, um, with a broken floor, some broken aero parts, and no power steering. Yeah, and somehow the car was still going and Verstappen was still able to finish the Grand Prix in fifth He was place. catching Gasly. Which says more about Pierre Gasly than anything else at this point. Um, yeah. Sebastian had severe damage on the car. He limped home in 17th place and was given a time penalty for his trouble. A 10-second time penalty for causing a collision with Max in the first place. Twitter went wild um, on this one. And, uh, of course, that was your main flashpoint for the race itself. And all those guys that have been writing uh, hot takes about Sebastian Vettel being washed, here's your golden carrot right here, everybody. Um... And that contingent was out in force, screaming from the rooftops. I had two tweets from people telling me, oh, we're used to a Sebastian Vettel brain fade at this point. And I'm just like, really? Uh, and everyone just looked at me, and I, I literally put on Twitter at the time, I think I'm going to log off now. Because um, mm. I just looked at that, and I was just like, not again. Um... Is this the plot where everyone looks to me in the Discord and expects me to say something here? Is this is this is this is this your Church of Dre moment right here? The church burned uh, down. The the church burned down and only the gold spire of my head remains, mostly because of the higher melting temperature. But besides that, um, <laughs> I'll say this: um, it was another case where Matt's Verstappen did move in the braking zone and kind of moved over a half a car length just to shut the door on Vers on Vettel. Vettel, to his part, was nice enough, and he apologized for Sappin after the wreck. That's that's mm -hmm. that's all fine and dandy. I, oh boy. Mm. Oh, for one, man. I'm for, yeah, for one, I'm glad both drivers handled this maturely. Like, Max just said he was more disappointed than angry. It just happens. Um, Seb took full blame for it. He's a better man than me. Um, he fully admitted it was his mistake. Um, I, 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 I'll I split count. it probably 70-30. The more I look at the incident, the more I think that the move probably wasn't on it for, wasn't. for Seb. But at the same time, if this thing that Max does where he takes a line and then swings back to the racing line effectively at the braking zone or in the braking zone, you're putting the person behind you in a position where you might force their front wing to stall and then you better hope they can get they can get their car in a position where they're not going to rear-end you. Which was essentially Baku 2018 all over again. Because, yeah. again, Max... Ricardo committed to the move. Max turned in front of him. And you could see Ricardo's front wing shuddering in the vortex building off of Max's car. And nobody really blamed either party for that incident. It was just like, whoa, that's a thing. Um, and kind of left it there. Now, uh, look, I am the Sebastian guy. We all know this. I'm not... Like, this is not me trying to sound like I'm batting for Seb here or anything. Seb has to take the majority of the blame here. That move was low percentage at best. Yeah, um, yeah. There was barely a car whip there. It was... 
I, f I suspect it was more a case of poor judgment than anything else. Um, it, I think, if anything, he should have learnt from Japan last year that that move was, again, low percentage. And this is the thing with Sebastian. He's always had the rep of not being a particularly great passer, but Seb's always been really, really good at these often stupidly low percentage passes. This very Grand Prix last year, he pulled off a stunning lunge on Valtteri to win the Grand Prix. Um, so last, last year, he had an overtake of the year contender to win the race here. Yeah, and it's... it's like, I, I still remember my favorite Sebastian overtake of all time, the Curva Grande switch back onto the inside line at 20... I think it was 2011 against Fernando yes. Alonso at Monza. Against Alonso, wheels, with the Tifosi behind him. Yeah, he had two wheels on the gravel at 200 miles an hour. And, like, I, I don't buy into this narrative that Sebastian's racecraft is the problem here. I don't... Because... Again, it's a matter of which narrative box do you want to fill. We've never given Sebastian Vettel his true credit in this country. We only use him to either enhance somebody else or throw the book at him. That's that, that's just how we Brits are. It's the Hamilton show, and we all know it. Yeah, and I'm to not... be fair, he looked racier than he did considering Ferrari had uh, had apparently realized, oh yeah, we got all our wind tunnel data wrong when developing our car. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. So... When you're developing a car in a wind tunnel, the whole thing you need to do is you need to make sure that the things that work in the wind tunnel work on track. Because if they don't, why bother? And Ferrari has realized, after numerous failed upgrades, our wind tunnel doesn't really simulate real-life conditions as well as it could. In other words, Ferrari forgot to compensate for air. Yes, yes, their, their aerodynamicist forgot to design the car around the idea of air. Yeah, I mean, fish forget to compensate for air, but they don't need it. A Formula One car does. This is what we're talking about here. It's like, again, like, Sebastian absolutely deserved the criticism he got for this one. But I would also say it also, I think, masks a much greater problem that no one talked about in this race. Red Bull outgunned Ferrari legitimately in race trim both ferraris after qualifying you know everyone's oh ferrari's close they're within 800s ferrari's race pace is abysmal between yeah. the fuel usage between they're ripping their front tires off the rims they can't run well in dirty air due to their front wing design yeah. Not only this, were they nowhere it was a miracle that Vettel was able to manage his tires as well as he did in the first stint yeah, Vettel, to his credit, for all the talk about luck with safety car, both he and Hamilton really had committed to the one-stop anyways versus the two-stoppers around them by managing their front tires in the first stint. Yeah. And considering the state of the Ferrari right now, where it's also come out that in attempting to cure the understeer, since France, they've started to pull the car away from Sebastian's style, and it showed, where he said, I can't trust the rear axle on turn-in. It's a wonder he was in third place at all. Wait, why are, you, why are you spending 35 million pounds a year on a driver and then decide to make the car not like his? What is Ferrari doing? Throwing things to the wall and see what sticks. Speaking of Pierre Gasly setup strategies. Yeah, Pierre Gasly, uh, he was looking a lot better. 
Yeah, he tried some of Matt's setups, and hey, they were working better for him. He was quicker throughout most of Friday practice and was running ahead of him for most of the race until he was asked to move aside. Ah. He's that guy who went onto the forum not knowing how to set up his car and cribbed someone else's setup, and it worked. It's a strong strategy. Trust me, I would know. It works. It's a big Take move. Take it from me. It's a big move. <laughs> and out of all this, our uh, Steve Ryan accurately predicted that Gasly would have finished for Stappen on those same setups. <laughs> oh, damn. Just no, have no, the granted. airplane moment, and yes, perfectly. Perfect yeah, prediction. to be fair, there was, there was a qualifier in this, but a fourth place finish for Gasly that'll probably do him a world of good, considering he needs all the confidence he can get. Yeah, easily, by a mile, Gasly's best weekend of the season so far, and it's not even close. Um, Running up the the, uh, score on the finishes real quick, Lewis Hamilton, of course, winning by 24.9 seconds. Um, Reason being, Valtteri ran a two-stopper, Hamilton only stopped the once, and set the fastest lap on the last lap of the race. Um, Yeah, I think it was a 27-3, I think it was, in the end. Um, Fun fact... That lap was faster than George Russell in Q1. Bah. On 30-lap old hard tires. How are y'all feeling about the W10B showing up for Hockenheim? Yeah. This season is toast. It is done. D-U-N done. It's like... As if it wasn't done enough. Yeah. Mercedes is on 407 Constructors points. They've crossed the 400-point mark, and we're not even halfway. Like, they could realistically is... go 800 points. Yeah, I'm it's here on. for it. It's on. It's, it's like it's it's like that. It's like that old scene when Jason Statham talks about it in the movie Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Like, no, sorry, sorry, it's actually in Snatch where he says he's going to pull my pants down, lube himself up, and aim for penetration. That's what Merck is doing to the field right now. That's what we're talking about here. The next Man, nearest this is a Mercedes spicy podcast already. No kidding. Mm. Um, the the next nearest non silver car was Charles Leclerc, thirty seconds off the victory. Um, Bottas, after the safety car, was able to pull a gap running behind Hamilton on pace alone, pit and come out ahead of Leclerc. Yeah, that's how much the Mercs had in hand terrifying. Pierre Gasly in fourth ahead of Max Verstappen, who somehow had a working car over the line in fifth. The winner of Formula 1.5 with a little bit of help of a safety car, Carlos Sainz Jr. from 13th on the grid in P6. That young man's season is getting better and better and better. Tremendous performance from Carlos. Again. We weren't crazy to vote him driver of the year. Indeed. Indeed. And he held off Daniel Ricciardo brilliantly at the end of that Grand Prix as well. Excellent drive from Carlos Sainz Jr. once again um, in P6. Daniel Ricciardo in 7th for Renault. Nice to see them back in the points again after a little bit of a dry spell. Kimi Raikkonen in 8th for Alfa Romeo ahead of Denny Kvyat. Good to see Toro Rosso up there meddling in the points for most of the weekend as well. Alex Albon was in the mix as well for points. Didn't quite get there in the end, but nice to see Toro Rosso back in the points hunt again Albon was forced to uh, he was forced to one stop because had he had an electrical issue with his Honda power unit, which ah, kind of made the car unsafe to touch during a pit stop. Yikes! Uh, 
nope, that's a pro- nope, that, nope, nope. nope, I want none of those problems. Uh, yeah, Nico nope. Hulkenberg still got a point in temp despite being bumped off the road by Checo Perez. Uh, no me gusta. Um, outside of the points, Lando in P11. Um, no wholesome memes this week. Yeah, it was on pace to finish up there with Carlos, but just as the safety car compromised Botas' strategy, it also compromised Lando's. Mm. Poor guy. And also, like, I, on a quick side note, props to Lando for coming out and being uh, so open about the fact he's he, he's one of these guys that struggles with a lot with anxiety and uh, self-confidence, which is amazing given you're a 19-year-old, handsome Formula 1 driver who's wholesome and who everybody loves on and off the track. Lando, you're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you're you're going to be just fine, my friend. You are going to be just fine. And I love that Steve alluded to this in the Discord. We had one of the funniest Thursday press conferences ever. Oh my god, Dan- I forgot about this. <laughs> where Daniel <laughs> Ricciardo asked him, have you got pubes yet? <laughs> <laughs> and Norris Which is then just culminated gone. in something very bad happening to signs. Tell us more, Cam. Not shot. Oh, <laughs> uh, Ricardo gave Carlos signs a a, 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 a a cup check uh, after the race as well on Instagram. So, uh, CDF on Instagram for more on that too. It was a like it was a, a a banterous weekend between McLaren and Renault. Fun times for all involved. Lando, you're doing amazing, sweetie. You're going to be just fine. Um, Alex Albon in 12th. Lance Stroll in 13th for Racing Point. George Russell in 14th. I think that's the best of Williams' result of the year so far. It's still a miserable 14th. Um, Ahead of his teammate. Racing Point looked abysmal. Williams, despite bringing some significant upgrades. Oh, Williams. Williams. Indeed. Um, they both finished. And Ferrari, though, because Sebastian Vettel was in 16th after the accident. Ah, uh, yes. We didn't touch on the fact that uh, as a result of that crash, Sebastian Vettel was handed a 10-second time penalty. And two really penalty mattered. points as well. Yeah. 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 Fun times. He finished in 16th. Sergio Perez was 17th. Three DNFs, as mentioned. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi spinning off on lap 18. And then, oh, oh boy! Oh, that's, that's where they are! Yeah, you, you, the eagle-eared amongst you would probably notice that we've not mentioned Haas' F1 team out here since the, uh, since the start of the actual race review itself. And, uh, well, they both hit each other on the opening lap. Both that- cars would, would eventually retire due to collision damage. Yep. Um... We say that on and off the track, off the track yeah. was bad, but on the track, what was the Gunter Steiner quote? I'm just stating the obvious here. The best that our drivers could bring to the battle was a shovel to dig the hole we're in even deeper. And as if the hole wasn't deep enough. Back to that Ferrari wind tunnel thing. Uh, Haas, whose car is uses the Ferrari wind tunnel. Yep. Well... In order to find some of the problems they were having, they reverted back to the Australia spec aero package, and the car was faster. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Is that did- good? That's uh, that's decidedly ungood. Especially given Kevin Magnussen made a mistake in Q1 and got knocked out in that session. Yeah. Um. That could mean that their entire development path for the car for the entire year this might be screwed. Grosjean was repeatedly saying how much better the car felt over the course of the weekend. 
Look, all they've got to do is just start up a new career mode save one save file in F1 2019. It fits the problem. Yeah, yeah that was they got, a, they got a nice helmet and everything. Yeah, and that was after Grosjean also binned it in the pit lane in practice. Oh god! And then spun five minutes later when they got the car going again. It was uh, it was a comedy not a good weekend for Haas. Yeah. To be fair, I think that was just Romain Grosjean's way of trying to distance himself from rich energy. It's like I don't like this car. Boff! There goes the there goes the M plate. You can't see it anymore. Um, What's one way to calm down a controversy? Start a bigger one right next to it. Yeah, there you go. Let's put let's put let's put some kerosene next to this dynamite. What's the worst that could go wrong? You know. So yeah, both Hasses down and out, both retiring by lap nine due to collision damage. And uh, yeah, we heard Gunther Steiner's quote. It's a slight improvement on the usual one of "fuck." We look like a bunch of fucking wankers. Um, although that could still easily apply, um, quite frankly. Championship standings as we as we riff, as we rapidly head towards the halfway mark. Lewis Hamilton, 223 points. He now has a 39 championship point lead over his teammate Valtteri Bottas in the second with 184. All I'm saying is, if anyone took my betting advice at the start of the year about Valtteri to win the title at 25 to 1 each way, you're looking very good right now. Just saying. Um, Max Verstappen in third on 136. Um, he's now 13 ahead of Sebastian Vettel after his DNF. He's still three points ahead of Charles Leclerc, though, amazingly. Um, 120 to 123, where that's concerned. Pierre Gasly on 55. He's been able to put a bit of distance between him and the Formula 1.5 leader, Carlos Sainz Jr., on 38 points. He's got a massive 13-point championship lead ahead of Kimi Raikkonen, who continues to chip away at some good point-scoring finishes in 8th on 25 points. Then Lando and Daniel Ricciardo on 22 each. Lando having the tiebreaker on more 6th place finishes. Uh, and then Nico Hulkenberg just outside on that with 17 points. Constructor standings. Mr. Buckley was not lying. 407 points from Mercedes. They have a 164 point lead. They are almost outscoring Ferrari 2-1. That's how bad this is. Um, in fact, like they have, they if if Red Bull and Ferrari combined, they'd only be thirty-seven points behind them. That would be that, a weird racing team. That would be a very weird racing team. Ferrari, Red Bull, Honda-powered Ferrari racing team, sponsored Tri- by Aston Martin with Carbagajanian, the Andretti Autosport with Brian Herta Autosport. <laughs> Damn it. Since when is Chris Cook on this show? <laughs> Just asking. Um, yeah, in the best of the rest, Chase McLaren up to twenty-one points. Uh, in, in, actually, to be fair, they actually lost ground a little bit uh, to Renault. There, the sixty points to thirty-nine now with Renault in fifth. Alfa Romeo starting to pull away in sixth a little bit now on twenty-six points. Then Racing Point and Toro Rosso both with 19 points in 7th place. Again, Racing Point have that 6th place finish as the countback leader. Um, Haas still on 16 points. It's now been 4 weekends since they last scored a point. Yeah, their last points finish was K-Mag at Monaco when he finished in 10th. Yeah, Monaco. That feels like a long, long time ago. You know what else has been a long time ago? Williams' last points finish at Monza last year. 
Still on nothing. But hey, as I said, George Russell, best result of the year for him in 14th place for the team. Well done, George. You poor thing. Oh, dear. Uh, so, where to next, RJ? Besides the fact this was uh, before before that, I, obviously, just as a side note to say, great Grand Prix. Like, Yeah, I loved it. I'd solidly, I'd solidly give this uh, at least 8.5 weird-looking mascot-headed uh, mascots roaming around Silverstone out of 10. Solid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, solid, solid, solid score indeed. The first twin laps were amazing. Safety car kind of stifled it a bit, which was a shame, but uh, it is a nice example of what this sport can do when everything's actually dialed in properly. Doesn't happen often these days, so we'll take it where we can get it, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah. We'll, we'll have fun with that one. Great Grand Prix. Go out of your way to see it. Definitely worth a watch. Um, two good F1 races in a row. What a strange feeling. Um, <laughs> so, shall we get into... Ooh, what, what do you want to do next, RJ? I'll let, I'll let you decide on this one. Should we talk about... Should we break up some of the Silverstone a bit and... Jump over across the pond. Should we talk about World Superbikes? Yes. Oh, God. Let's talk about World Superbikes and the weekend that might have changed the championship beyond all repair. Uh, After this musical break, we'll talk about Jonathan Ray taking America again. The machine turns the bottles right side up again, and they make their way to the filling station. The carbonated softer now travels to the reservoir of the bottling machine. The bottles arrive and travel its carousel. Brackets, I forgot to mention a cameo from our tall Welsh friend. More on him in a bit. But uh, yeah, while Superbikes headed to its last round before the summer break, Laguna Seca at uh, WeatherTech Raceway. And uh, well... It was an interesting one to start off with. I mean, Jonathan Ray on pole position, you know, great stuff from him. Great lap. Put himself out there, you know, licked the stamp and sent it. Um, we had an early skirmish in race one between him and the two Ducatis, Chaz Davies, who always goes well around Laguna Seca. Um, and Alvaro Bautista, who was running third at the time. And early on... And not for the first time this season. In fact, I think at this point, for the fourth time in four weekends, Alvaro Bautista crashes. Yeah! No. Oh, McLaren Mercedes 2007 called. And they're impressed with your bottle. (laughs) It's it's actually getting kind of sad that he's now getting the nickname of Bottle Tista. Um, it's actually kind of sad. <laughs> oh dear, Alvaro binned it, and then like this, I, I'm not gonna be. I'm gonna be real with it. This this wasn't a particularly captivating weekends of racing. Laguna no. Seca isn't the best bike track. Shh, no. don't tell Ben Spees. Um, but uh, yeah, Jonathan Ray ended up winning race one comfortably by just over five seconds from Chaz Davies in second and Top Rack back on the podium again. Top Rack Razgatioglu. In third, good for Tom Sykes to get in fourth as well on the BMW. Ahead of Lowe's, Jordi Spanish Elvis Torres in sixth. Good for him. We love we love Jordi Torres on this show. We stand at Spanish Elvis. Uh, Michael Vandermark, uh, Loris Baz, Marco Melandri. More on him in a minute. Um, and and Michael Ruben Rinaldi rounding off the top ten. So we thought, okay, another fourth about Easter. 
Ray is going to leave a weekend as championship leader no matter what happened. Like, that was now a mathematical certainty. So, we cut to Sunday afternoon and the Super Bowl race, which apparently now counts. Don't ask me why. Like, they changed their minds, Dorner, apparently. They thought, okay, Super Bowl races aren't going to count. Apparently now they do, because they were celebrating Jonathan Ray's 80th World Superbike victory in that Super Bowl race. He won by two and a half seconds again from Chaz Davies, and uh, Tom Sykes rounding off the podium in third. Now, again, I know what you're thinking. Where's Bautista? Um, well, I hate to re report he crashed again. Um, and this time it was actually worse, because in this crash he separated his shoulder. I had a bad feeling this was going to happen. You can't fall this many times without oh. something going pop or going wrong. It seemed inevitable, and yeah. Yeah, the shoulder went. He tried to take part in race two, had to pull it in. He was in too much pain to continue, um, which is just very, very sad. So Bautista um, leaves... Basically, uh, leads, leaves Laguna Seca with no points gained whatsoever. Um, and, a, and a separated shoulder for all of his trouble. Which thank makes God us really think yeah, thank God he's got a long summer break to recover from it. Because uh, I mean, I mean yeah. it's different. A dislocation, you might be able to just pop back in. A separation, he's in really big trouble. Yeah, you've got to operate on that shit. You can't, you can't run with one of those. He was in too much pain. And like I said, thankfully for him, he's got a two, like nearly a two-month-long summer break to recover because they don't race again until Portimao on September seventh. Um, so yeah, we got a. Like, I've never liked the long World Superbike summer break for only four weekends afterwards. I've always thought it was dumb. But uh, I mean, yeah. to be fair, to be fair, there's a big race that's coming up in two weeks' time that'll involve some of these protagonists in this very race we're talking about now. Hell could yeah. Be, could it be Suzuka by any chance? Yes, more on that on next week's episode. Ooh, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Um, one of the races of the year in bike, in bike circles now. It's like the all-star race for bikes. I fucking love Suzuka. It's going to be I'd, awesome. I'd call it the 24 hours of Le Mans bike racing, but there already is one of those. Yeah, and it's nowhere near as fun. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, Ray Davy Sykes on the podium for the Super Pole race. Top Rack just outside in fourth. Um, didn't even mention hasn't been in it in race one of the corkscrew. Ouch. Um, mm. Ooh, he was okay. That ain't good. No, that ain't good. He was okay, thankfully, um, in the end. But, uh, yeah, race two um, took place later on that same night. And uh, I, I have to say, given the man's been through some shit and some injuries and some pain for a good while, good for Chaz Davies to get back on the top step of the podium. Um... He, it's been a long time coming. He's kind of been the forgotten man given Bautista's early dominance and uh, where we're at now. Um, it's good to see Chaz Davies back on the top step of the podium. His first win of the season in total. Um, I'm going to try to have a quick look. When was the last time Chaz won? It was... Bear with me just a sec. It was round two at Aragon last year. Um, yeah, that was... God, all the way back last May. So it's been over a calendar year since Chaz Davies' last win in World Superbikes. Yeah, we've um, forgotten about Chaz Davies in the in the initial hype of Batista Mania. 
yeah, uh, we, we forgot old reliable was still a thing. And a great, like Chaz has always gone well at Laguna Seca. Um, and this was no exception. He, he went for the harder compound tire and it worked out beautifully on this one. Um, took the lead early on. I think Jonathan was shown a pit board that said Bautista out. And I think after that, I think he just took the second place. I don't think he was going to go 100% to try and beat Chaz when, hey, plus 20 is still a phenomenal result for the championship, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, top rack on the podium again in third. He's really stringing these together now, top rack. Hmm. Uh, like, basically, for, for all intents and purposes, all of City season revolves around that man. Keep an eye on that in the coming weeks and months. Um, Alex Lowe's in fourth. Said he was going at 110% even get that to hold off Tom Sykes behind him in fifth. Haslam fell to sixth in the end ahead of Baz, Torres, Melandri, and again, Michael Rubin, Rinaldi rounding off the top 10. And perhaps most importantly, Moto America Super Sport Champion J.D. Beach finishing in 16th and then retiring the other two rounds. It's he was fine. taken out in one of them by Del Bianco. I was like, oh my god, that's a huge accident. And Del Bianco had to start the race two from the back of the grid. Um, it was a nasty spill. But good good to see JD Beach and some American wildcards having some fun. Good good to see. Good to see, as always. Now, for those guys who have been keeping score at home, that means Jonathan Ray is going into the summer break with an 81-point championship lead. Now... I know what you're thinking. How the hell did we get to this point? Now, for those guys that are short on the maths, the, the peak of Bautista's dominance was the Haref Super Pole race. At that point in time, that was his 11th, like that was, I think, his 11th win of the season. He'd won 11 out of 13 to that point. He had a 61-point lead in the championship. He's coughed up 142 points as a swing since then. We had declared we'd never talk about World Superbikes unless he lost a race, and oh boy! He lost everything! <laughs> Thanks, Johnny Ray. His whole season's come undone, and the Discord pointed this out, Kevin pointed it out on Twitter... Like, the most important part of Jonathan Ray's season was the nine straight second places, he actually, the ten straight second places he had to start off the season. Essentially, he basically didn't give Bautista an inch. It was, the, it was precisely the, uh, I call it the Marquez-Dovi problem, where Dovi was beating Marquez, but Marquez was always finishing second, so he was only ever giving up five points at a time. Whereas Dovi's bad days, he was coughing up a lot more to Marquez, and that's what was doing the championship damage. Batista can win every remaining race by 10 seconds early in the year. That still won't be enough if Ray deals in seconds. And for Precisely. all the talk about, for all the screaming about domination, it was generally Bautista, then a yawning chasm to Ray, then a yawning chasm to everyone else. Yeah, it's not quite so bad now. I think Top Racker certainly stuck his he stuck his oar in there now and is a more regular race winning contender now and again i hope this is the sign of better things to come from Chaz. um given hey he's he spent a lot of time recovering from two collarbone injuries um but yeah as lewis pointed out the championship went from bautista being 61 up in front and thinking this is over to it's now out of his hands in the space of five weekends 
How, how did we get to this point? It's ridiculous. Um, Bautista's results since that Haref Super Bowl win. Race two in Haref crashed. Misano, third, won the Super Bowl race. Crashed in race two. Donington crashed in race one. Fourth in the Super Bowl race. Third in race two. Laguna Seca, 17th, did not start retirement. Can we get that uh, episode of Collapse? Yeah. 81 points is the championship lead. And I, I don't want to be that guy, but for all intents and purposes, this championship is over. Like I, Ray is too Ray, good. Ray is not going to cough up that many points. Period. I, I would say that with certainty because that's the one part of Jonathan Ray's game that doesn't get spoken about as much. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't. Not really. He will always take, almost always, take the most amount of points available. That crash he had at the Masano Super Bowl race where he flipped the bike over and was able to continue, that's about the first real rider error Jonathan has made to cost him like a crash in a race that I can remember. I think all the other ones have been either like false neutrals or technical problems that have assisted in him falling, like the rear tyre falling off at Donington last year. Like, he doesn't make mistakes and that's the crippler in in yeah. this title fight. Bautista has made a ton of them, half a dozen since since her F and that's ultimately what's going to do him in. And it doesn't matter how many revs you have, you know. Yeah, and, and moving forward, I mean, Bautista is he's not going to regain that speed this year, not with that shoulder. No, that that again, he's he's very very lucky. He he broke it before the break and relatively speaking because now he's got 2 months to at least get some form of fitness or, or rehab into that shoulder. Um, you know, he's got basically seven weeks to play with here. So he's got some time. But even so, like, Jonathan Ray is really strong at Portimao. That doesn't help either. Um, and he was dominant in Argentina last year as well. So, I, oof. Similar to how we talk about Marquez having bank arounds, Ray has bank arounds where you know, barring divine intervention he's gonna win yeah and he's strong in the wet too like that's another factor because there's been a lot of rain in the superbike season as well we haven't talked about as much um so and Vic points out as well uh it's another track bautista has to learn indeed um it's it's to, to borrow a pun from last year's title celebrations jonathan's holding all the aces right now and uh it's not promising looking forward on that one. So, again, fingers crossed that Bautista recovers well and, you know, is able to give Jonathan more of a fight. But uh, that is a weird sentence to come out with, like, the way this season has played out. Because, boy, that first half was something. Um, How things change. Yeah, very, very goddamn quickly. So that's what Superbikes for you. Um, yeah, season's done, folks. Um, just not in the way you probably thought about two months ago. How very odd. <laughs> so, uh, RJ, want to talk about the Junior Series real quick? Yes, let's come back to Silverstone. Uh, let's come to the Formula 2 feature race. And a first-time pole sitter, 
Guan Yu Zhao, the first Chinese driver to take pole position in Formula 2. Woo! But of course, it was his teammate Luca Giotto who uh, held off Zhao at the start and then had a thrilling duel with Nicholas Latifi in the feature race. Giotto taking his first feature race win of the season, his first win since winning the sprint in Bahrain ahead of Latifi and Zhao in third. It was a it was a bit of a bizarre weekend for a lot of reasons. With set a camera fourth, Jack Eight Config knit the breeze and sits Louis Delatraz in seventh, Kalamile at eighth, Nobuhara Matsushita in ninth, and Jordan King in tenth to round out the feature race points finishers. Of course, look at the top eight into the sprint race, and Jack Aitken, the homeboy. The homeboy, homeboy. Jack Aitken, yes, taking the victory from fourth on the grid. Um that was a big win ahead of Delatraz. DeVries on the podium in third. He still retains his points lead. Callum Eilat in fourth. Nicholas Latifi in fifth. Mick Schumacher moving mm. up five places in the sprint race to finish sixth ahead of Matsusha in seventh. And Zhao consolidating eighth place. But one driver who was not part of the, uh, the festivities, Kramer oh. Racing, Sean Galeal. Hmm. Kentucky Fried Man, Sean Galeal. Kentucky Fried Man Sean Galeal uh, basically pulled a QQ after a uh, after a practice collision with Delatraz, in which he was first given a reprimand and a two penalty points. So after protesting it, he was then given a three place grid dropped. And after that, he announced he was he was withdrawing for the weekend due to personal reasons, which ultimately turned out that they he did not agree with that decision at all. Yeah, he basically he basically did not take part out of protest. As I quote, "out of principle," was the was was the words he used to describe the situation. And uh, to be fair, he did make a valid point. Why is he getting penalty points for a reprimand? Yeah, that that doesn't make sense. It was it was a careless mistake, but he should have gotten one or the other, not both. Right. Like if you're giving him a, if you're giving him a free place grid drop and the penalty points, fair enough. But then why are you giving him a reprimand and then still giving him two penalty points? It doesn't make any sense. You On don't a grid where you've let Mahavir Ragunathan back. You let him back in. Yeah, he's still here, everybody. Like, geez, like, like ugh. A, a fundamentally unsafe driver. Yeah, yeah. at least Sean's accident prone, but he seems like a good dude. And at least he's quick enough on his day. He doesn't have very many of them, but he's still quick nonetheless. But uh, no, like, Galeel sat out of principle and he's even tempted the idea of retirement um he said straight up that uh, he's going to use the week off to to regroup and to consider his position because he he says that uh, he's lost some of the passion for racing due to decisions like what he's had right now which is uh eyebrow raising to say the least that yeah that would suck i mean i've i've we've seen drivers drop out at this level before they've had the chance to reach their potential again i I don't, I'm not going to lie to you and sell you that Sean Galea was Formula 1 material because he's not, but, you know, he could bring some value to a to a lesser series. He would it would certainly spice up, you know, an LMP2 grid and or a GT racing grid somewhere. Would that be 11 uh, secret herbs and spices? Oh, yes. Yeah. Safe to say this uh, this KFC has done exploded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I, I, oh, I, I, that's I, I, topical. That 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 is very topical. Oh, lordy. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Sean Galeal teasing retirement. I hope he doesn't. Like, cause I, I wouldn't want to see a, a a decent driver retire due to a 
questionable FIA decision, to say the least. Um, yeah, that would not be a good look. No, it'd be, it, it would be sad. I, and I, I don't want to see that. And, uh, yeah, so, you know. But, hey, you got, we got a hometown win. Another one for Jack Aiken, so good for him. You know? Yes, y'all are claiming him now. He does race under the British flag and not the Korean one. Damn it! Alex, there's still time. <laughs> Your championship standings after seven race meetings already. Goddamn. Um, yeah. Nick DeVries on 170 points now has a 31-point lead over Nicholas Latifi in second on 139. Luca Giotto with that feature race victory moves all the way up to third on 122, one point ahead of Sergio Sete Camera on 20, 121. Jack Aitken on fifth on 113, Guan Yu Zhao on 105. He is the top-ranked rookie because Antoine Hierbert had a nightmare weekend. 18th installed in the feature, 11th in sprint. He slips down to seventh. Matsushita mm. eighth on 65. Delatraz ninth on 60. And Jordan King uh, still 10th on 41 points. Formula 3? Formula 3. Red Bull. Um, you know, we talk about how thin Red Bull's talent pool is, but... Yuri Vips is making a case uh, because he started race one from pole position and one from pole position, taking the maximum 29 points in a nail-biting finish with Dejan Daravala in second, with Marcus Armstrong third, Leonardo Polcini in fourth, Robert Schwartzman in fifth, Pedro Piquet in sixth, Christian Lundgaard seventh, Liam Lawson eighth, Jake Hughes in ninth, and Alexander Peroni in tenth. But the, uh, the second race had some high drama because it looked like it was going to come down to Pedro Pique and Jehan Daravala on the final lap of the race until the two of them make contact. Daravala oh. damages his wing, Pique spins out, and Leonardo Pulcini takes his first win of the season in high-tech Grand Prix, sweep the weekend. Oh, no. Oh, Goodness gracious! What a what a tough break. So, but, so, uh, so in other words, back to back form on a three weekends where the two leaders have hit each other and the third place guy has come through to steal it. Yep, pretty much. Big first went for big first went for Pulcini. Robert Schwartzman in second, Liam Lawson third, Marcus Armstrong fourth, Lundgaard in fifth, David Beckman, a uh, driver who we've not seen a lot in the points in sixth, Yuki Tsunoda in seventh, and Fabio Scherer rounding off the points in eighth in race two as far as how that impacts the championship we got a good one brewing in formula three because schwartzman is on 104 but he's only 12 points ahead of daravala who might have had more of an advantage had he you know not bumped into pedro pique in the last lap yuri vips in third on 92 marcus armstrong fourth on 77 and then a yawning chasm to pedro pique in fifth on 43 hooray and of course they will not be at Hockenheim the next time you'll see the support ticket is at the Hungara ring indeed so that will be two weeks time right oh no yes. four weeks time because yeah, we, we got four Germany first yeah we got yeah. We, got, we got Germany in between yeah my, my memory kicked in there <laughs> but uh yes okay so yeah three weeks time thanks Toki appreciate that um should we hit the news real quick <laughs> Yes, the rest of the news. Alrighty, so a couple of bike stories here first. Um, a bit of a, a, a solemn one here, first of all. We got the news last week that Marco Melandri will be uh, hanging up the gloves and the levers at the end of the year. Um, Marco Melandri, a, a, a veteran of um, 
yeah, the veteran of World Superbikes and MotoGP over the last got two decades now. I think he made his top flight debut, I think, in 2002, I want to say. Um, 2003, 2003, as he yeah. was the 250cc champion in 2002. Mm. It's been a good eight years in the top class, finishing second in 2005 with the Movistar Hondas. Yeah, he was. Like, he was runner-up to a very dominant Valentino Rossi at the time. Um, so, yeah, there's no real shame in that because Rossi was on a tear in the mid-2000s. He's one of those guys that probably didn't look as good as he could have done because of Valentino's dominance, but he, he was a phenomenal rider and, you know, was a title contender on an independent in, in 06 when he was with the... Uh, the Telefonica satellite team as well. I remember that season. Well, he was still eligible to win the title in Estoril, the second to last round. You know, that one where his teammate won. Hmm. <laughs> that, that other one. thing happened. Yeah, you know that that that, that what was his name? Tony Elias, I think his name was. Yeah, that guy. Back up the back up the money truck. <laughs> Back the wagon up. <laughs> good times, good times. So, uh, so, it's almost like someone here made a video about that a couple of years ago. Anyway. Shameless um, plug. Shameless, I know. But uh, we, we will always have that phenomenal power slide uh, at Phillip Island 2006. The greatest race winning celebration ever seen. If, if you have not seen it, go on MotoGP's Instagram page. Thank me later. Seriously, thank me later. You, you you will love it. It is a, it is a good, to to say the least. Um, it's awesome. Um, and yeah, again, prolific, multiple, like I think easily, I think twenty plus World Superbike wins as well, um, for multiple manufacturers. It's, it's, it's a damn shame he never won a World Superbike title because he was a upper tier player in that series for a good while. Only missed out to some very very good riders like Tom Sykes and Sylvain Gintoli. Um, yeah. as, as well a, a all-round great rider phenomenal entertainer um always charismatic always opinionated never afraid to speak his mind um a a very very fun rider and that's the whole thing i wanted to get down with marco melandri he is a fun entertaining guy to watch um and uh the paddock will uh will not be so fun without him also, quick side note, it w we didn't mention this in the F1 section, it's just been brought to our attention on Discord. Red Bull broke the all-time pit stop record during that race, a 1.91 second stop. They had two of the fastest three ever. Didn't they already have Definitely. the other one? <laughs> um, the fastest ever was Williams for Felipe Massa in Baku 2016. Ah, this, that one. This was I the fastest. I think they had two, two sub-second, two, two sub Two sub two second stops. Yeah, um, one point nine zero for uh, it says one point nine one, but I believe it was timed at one point nine zero for Gasly. One point nine three for Verstappen, which is how we got ahead of Leclerc. It's not that Ferrari did a bad pit stop; it's that Red Bull did one of the best ever. Yeah, it was. God, uh, it was a virtually unstoppable pit stop, and uh, yeah, the, it's like uh, they got robots. Yeah, it's that's mental. Like you, you can actually see the fist pumps and the and the and the pats on the back. Um, afterwards, they knew that was a good one, just uh, to, to, to say the least. And it was one point nine one seconds. Phenomenal job from the Red Bull boys on that one. And uh, yeah, Ferrari didn't do much wrong there. Just a uh, just beaten by a phenomenal stop. Strange back to say, to a two and a half second pit stop is slow. 
Well, if John's hot, uh, well, if one of John's hot suggestions goes through for 2021, this record may be unbeatable sometime soon. Just a tad. Um, yeah, they, he's asked the teams, like, what's your opinion on, uh, on the possibility of refueling for the 2021 regulations, which we're still worried about because no one quite knows whether they, whether this is actually going to be a thing or not. Um, but John has put refueling on the table and, uh, I don't know if anybody of you guys actually watched FP3, but uh, Channel 4 um, and uh, Lee McKenzie, the lovely Lee McKenzie, who was double duty in between that and Wimbledon all week, um, mm-hmm. had a chat with Christian Horner on the sidelines, and he, she asked for Horner's opinion on the matter. And Horner was like, well, we had refueling, and we got rid of it because we didn't want to have all the overtaking take place in the pits. Um, we got rid of it because we thought that would make the show better. I don't know why we suddenly want to bring it back. And he said, I don't think the refueling was the reason these races were entertaining. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I'm no, inclined to agree. My my argument is always like, well, hey, we we didn't have refueling for the fir- for most of the first 45 years of the sport, and the racing no. was fine then. And my worry is that they're just going to use this to try as a quick fits instead of, you know, solving the dirty air problem. Yeah. yeah it, it, it just feels like another way of dancing around the issues we know the sports has. It's like, well, you know, we can't do this. How about refueling? Will that help? Yeah, no, and the talk was, the talk was, oh, if we go to refueling, that'll make the cars shorter. The only reason the cars are as long as they are now is for aerodynamic reasons. Teams wouldn't right. give a shit if they had a smaller fuel tank. The cars are already fast. They're the fastest they've ever been. Like, but guys, how- they gotta be faster. Like, the racing's just gotta be good. I know it's safe to do it now. Again, I would not have a pressurized fuel system. No, gravity by any fed. stretch of the match. Right, right. Do it the way they do in GT racing, but don't don't try and repeat the mistakes of the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, no, gravity fed. We don't Ask want Gosford on that. No, precisely. I want none of that shit, quite frankly. Um, no, I'm firmly in the same camp with you guys. Refueling was not the reason these races were better in the mid-2000s. And I use the term better in inverted commas because that is a highly uh, subjective take, quite frankly. And I, I know, like honestly, right, like people of the internet... Don't take Will Buxton's opinion so seriously. The man's literally on the payroll now. But he was comparing it to IndyCar and how IndyCar's like, oh, well, they have refueling and the races are great. It's yeah. literally got nothing to do with the fuels to why those races, the races are, are The races are longer. That's why they need refueling. You're right. not driving a 500-mile race in Formula One. Precisely. You've correlated nothing to nothing. Yeah. It's like... Well, you know, having these cars on shorter stints on, you know, on, you know, and they're faster, that's what helps. Like, Will, do you even watch IndyCar? Because that's clearly not the reason why it's good. It's good because the cars can follow each other. It has a very deep talent pool. There's The, the dirty air effect is, is not as great. There's a multitude of different formats of racing which help keep the format fresh and entertaining. And it's got nothing to do with the fuel levels. Seriously. Yeah. That's like... It's a placebo. I've said this time and time again. It's just shit that people are making up with to try and give us the illusion that, 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 that this is the problem here. It's just... 
It's nonsense. Well, and, like, I myself, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it, but it just feels like we're asking a question for... We're asking a question just kind of out into the void. No one was asking this... No one was asking for this, really. No. No one... No one who watches IndyCar regularly was saying, you know what will make the racing better? Take the fuel away and make the fuel tanks bigger. No Mm. one... Like it's it's nonsense. I, 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 I again, I just think like it's like it's like watching one of my favorite movies, iRobot, when when like Will Smith's character keeps pulling out the hologram, and it's like everything happens is a result of what you see here, and it's like you keep asking the wrong questions as a detective, and that was infuriating to watch. If you've ever seen the movie iRobot, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. It's it's, a, it's, a, it's an obscure reference, but like two of you listening might get it. I, but, I, I uh, get it. Yeah, it's it's like, that detective is the right question, and it's not refueling. It's not that. You know, it's... it's it, refueling ain't it, Chief, quite frankly. Here's what is it. Brad Bender is moving up to the top class in MotoGP. Yay! Oh, yeah. That was confirmed. Lord Binder is arising, everybody, into MotoGP. That was confirmed at the Saxon Ring towards the tail end of the weekend. Um, he will be moving into the Tech Free KTM team next year, alongside his old teammate from last year, um, Miguel Oliveira, the dentist. We stand. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the KTM are basically bringing the boys back together. Um, so both of their Moto uh, Two graduates uh, will be together in Moto. GP next season. If he's siring, um, sadly, is going to make way. He's probably going to race again in Moto2 next season. Um, apparently, SIC, Sapan's International Circuit, they are going to apparently try and find Sire in a seat because he is a good little learner for the track in terms of sponsorship and publicity and all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I would expect Siren to be back in Moto2 next season in some capacity, at least. Depends on the seat who comes available. I mean... I, we got the traditional big David Emmett um, city season update. If you don't follow him at Moto Matters, go out of your way to do so. He is the best in the biz for uh, Bike Journo. But long story short, don't expect much of a city season this year. Most of the seats are already tied down. If there is any movement, it will come from Avintia, basically. Um, there's question marks about Carol Abraham because basically he's got a lack of funding. Um, his family are, you know, struggling to keep affording to host Bruno, as it is. Um, hmm. And Carol's running out of cash. That could be a problem. And Tito Rabat is heavily linked with World Superbikes at the moment. I don't think he'll go to Kawasaki, which the rumours are suggesting he might. Um, But there's a lot of talk about Tito and World Superbikes. Apparently, uh, they want another Spaniard over there. And that's seeing how Bautista's gotten along. But uh, if anything, it will come from those two seats. They're saying there's a possibility that maybe... Alex Marquez or Lorenzo Baldazzari get one of those two seats next year. It depends on whether, again, Lorenzo wants to be on a not-so-good bike next year or whether Alex Marquez, who you know, wants to be in MotoGP next year or not. We'll have to wait and see. Um, so, like, if that's the most likely cause of any movement, again, I think, I think the Johan Zarco rumours have been exaggerated for a long time. Like, Zarco's not been great by any stretch, but there is no one available who's better, quite frankly. Yeah, it's like, who else are they going to get? Um, right, like... And, and look okay. at what he's riding, too. Yeah, like, 
Simply put, the KTM does not suit Zarco's riding style. He was on a Yamaha. Like, that riding style is finesse, smoothness. That's Zarco's style. He's incredibly smooth. The KTM is a brute. The KTM um, and the Honda kind of share the ideology. Beat the thing half to death in the corners to get yeah. anything out of it. Yeah, drag it around, you know, physically ra- like wrangle your way around it. Basically. I thought we were done talking about Yas Verstappen. <clears throat> Moving on. <laughs> That's super <staying> formula. <laughs> super formula. Um, if you watch the race on YouTube, you were treated to a first-time winner, Spaniard Alex Palo in his fourth race with the team for TCS Nakajima Racing. Just laid an almighty beat down on the field. He won the pole at a wet Fuji Speedway, won the race, scored the fastest lap, and led every lap. A Grand Slam first career victory. It is also the team's first win since 2010 and the first win for a Honda car since the engine war started in 2006. It was our hottest first win at Toyota-owned Fuji Speedway since 2009. Hashtag Supreme Beat em Down X. More or less. All-Rookie Row 2 with Sho Suboy taking his best career finish and Nick Cassidy with a crucial third-place finish at the end. Crucial because Naoki Yamamoto spun while running a ninth, dropped to 12th, and finished outside the points. So he's now clawed from 11 points back to 5 points back with the next round of Motegi coming up in August. Mm, neato. Right. Uh, just checking my news list one more time. Oh, Cam, this one's all you. Um, sadly, uh, SMP Racing is quitting the NMP1 class in the World Endurance Championship. Oh. Let's get into this. So... FIA World Endurance Championship, of course, next year will be the final year of the current LMP1 regulations. But Janetta's back. Maybe? The SMP withdrawing effectively leaves us with not much of a grid. Six cars, and that's if Team LNT and Janetta, if that project does come together, because what's left is the two Toyotas and the two Rebellion Orcas. Yeah, and I've heard Rebum- I- I've heard Rebellion, I've heard rumblings going around that they're reconsidering as well. Mm. Leaving us with two Toyotas that are going to win every race, and Baikal is showing up a couple of rounds, because... They say they're developing a hypercar, but I just think they are tired of having their car blow up every race. Doesn't help, especially for the running costs. Um, this is the worst shape that any form of their endurance championship has been in since it effectively collapsed at the end of 1992. When we were having single car entries, and to be fair, at least the lower classes are healthy, which is a change from 1992-ish. Healthy-ish. Also because remember, remember, Ford and BMW have pulled out, and every LMP2 team is basically going to Orica. Yeah, Orica have effectively taken over LMP2. The last resistance of running the Ligier has pretty much fallen. That was United Autosport. Yeah. Another Zach Brown team. Yeah, one that uh, one that actually punched above their weight rather than below. Mm. And uh, GTE. Oh yeah, we could mention Porsche unveiled their new GTE car. Please it be looks good. Nice. For the love of God, please be good. 
It doesn't it sound awesome. as good, but it's it still sounds really good compared to competition. It looks nice. I also forgot to mention well out of Super Formula because this was a thing that people were following it for. Patricio Award did all right. He finished 14th, but considering it was absolutely pissing it down, he was yeah. glad just to finish. And he moved up six places. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. He ran, a, he ran a clean race. He kept out of trouble, and he got a decent result out of it. Yeah, which is, which is much more than what we could said about his predecessor in the previous two rounds. Indeed. Did the, did the salt content of the rooms go up? Just a tad. Just a tad. It's like rich energy levels of salt, quite frankly. Um, I thought it was more of a tangy taste. Phrasing! It just tasted um, like it just tastes like it's taking all my money. Again, phrasing. Right. What money? <laughs> all five hundred and eighty-one pounds. Apparently so. I am now calling an executive order. This is the end of part one of this doubleheader, everybody. Woo! We're over, Tune, boys. Tune back in later this week to uh, listen in to what uh, RJ King and uh, Chris DeHarde thought of Formula E and IndyCar in Toronto as well. So, just please, please, you can find us one more time before we get out of here. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, we can also find our personal handles at cbuckley917, at RJ O'Connell, at Harrison101HD. Don't forget to take out the, uh, the uh, vowels in the case of Cam's case. I'm at Harrison101HD. Um, and again, if you'd like to back us financially on Patreon, you can. Patreon.com, forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. $10 gets you into the supporters club of the Discord server. Thanks everybody in there for listening in. Same time again tomorrow, folks, hopefully. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. See you tomorrow without me, replaced by a slightly less handsome black guy hosting the show. (laughs) (laughs) Love you really, King. (laughs) Until then, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Till next time.